We read again this evening the third epistle of John. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth, evil, he that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. This far we read the word of God. And take verses 11 and 12 as our text this evening. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. Beloved saints in Christ, as the Apostle has been pointing us to three men in the church in their relation to truth, he has again and again used indicatives. He's set forth facts. And only once in the epistle, now in our text, does he use an imperative. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. Verse 11 is a transition from noting that evil man, Diotrephes, to noting a godly man of whom truth itself bears witness, Demetrius. But with the transition from observing one evil man in the church to one godly man in the church comes the admonition. And in the verse, in verse 11, the practical purpose of the entire epistle 
The apostle is not merely interested in you going home tonight and saying, well, in the last two weeks we learned about different kinds of people in the church. But the Holy Spirit, as he works through this apostle's writing, is interested in us saying, I get the point. Some I am to avoid and others I am to follow, literally to imitate or to mimic. That's the practical point of the epistle. And so he ends on a high note. He ends by pointing to Demetrius and the godliness of Demetrius. And in this text comes back to the governing concept of the epistle. And now in a striking way, Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. And the question we'll ask ourselves as we go throughout the sermon this evening is, can it be said of you, or of me, not just that other people testify about us and say good things about us, but can it be said of you and me that truth itself bears witness to our godliness? For if many men say what a good man or what a good woman we are, but truth does not, then in fact in the sight of God, we are not good. What does truth say about you and me? With that question in mind, I call your attention to our text, Three Churchmen in Relation to Truth. Tonight, Demetrius well testified by truth. Let's notice his spiritual identity, his character witnesses, and his mimicable example. And the first point, we want to ask the question, who is Demetrius? And really, we know very little about the man. We know nothing about him as regards his earthly, personal identity. Well, there's a few things we can say, but we can't make conclusions from them. On the one hand, this is the only, one of only two Demetriuses we know of in Scripture, and the other one is a silversmith who was making golden shrines for Diana of the Ephesians. Now, although John, in his later years, labors in the area of Ephesus, and although every one of us would say it is a marvelous wonder of the grace of God if they were the same man and that silversmith had been converted to the God of grace and knowledge of truth, it is not something we can assert with confidence and in fact rather even unlikely that they are the same man. We know, in other words, nothing more about this Demetrius. His name, just as the name of Diotrephes we noticed this morning, has a pagan origin. Flower of Demeter, a Greek goddess of agriculture and harvest. But all of this to conclude, if there's anything we're going to learn about the man, it's not about his earthly identity, it must be about his spiritual identity. And yet the Holy Spirit has a purpose, not only here, but other places in Scripture also, in telling us very little about a man, 
And the purpose is this. That we not say, well, I'm like him socially, I'm like him economically, I'm like him culturally, and therefore he sets an example for me. But that we say, because we know so little about his earthly circumstances, the Holy Spirit means to say it's not the earthly circumstances that matter when you decide whom you will follow and imitate. It is the godliness, the spiritual characteristics of that man or woman. And therefore, what we know about him as regards his spiritual character in the first place is that he is a godly man. That's evident from the text. If he has a good report, not just of all men, but of the truth itself, he must be a godly man for truth does not bear a good witness of one who does evil. And the second place that he's a godly man is evident from verse 11, which, though not yet naming Demetrius, has him in mind, do not follow that which is evil, not Diotrephes, but that which is good. And the word good, later in the sermon, I'm going to tell you why I'm making this point. There are two words for good in the Greek language. There are two words for bad. One of them emphasizes moral good and moral bad. The other one emphasizes formal good or formal bad, such as he's a good mechanic. He knows how to do the job well. Or he's a bad mechanic. Doesn't mean he's an ungodly man. But he just doesn't do the job well. Demetrius is morally good. He is a godly man. That's the sort you should follow. It has to be said then, with grief, that not every man in the church is a godly man. And that's been the testimony uh, and the, the experience of the church of Jesus Christ throughout the ages. The psalmist himself shedding tears, as we sang this morning from Psalm 119, because though in the church, as you found it on earth in the Old Testament Israel, many were not godly. First of all, spiritually, he is a godly man. In the second place, this Demetrius, in his godliness, is antithetical which again is to say that godliness isn't just all there is to say about him. In his devotion to God, he recognized that there is something called evil. There's something called the lie. And he turned from it. You'll meet many people in the church of Jesus Christ or church world more broadly who say they're godly. They're devoted to God. They're here to serve God. They've been called by God to do this or to do that. Now, when you bring up sin, evils that pervade society and even are found in the church world, they might say to you, don't stir the pot. So you're a godly man, but you cannot recognize that from which you must turn and which you must avoid. Demetrius was antithetical in his godliness. 
He has turned, if that word Demetrius, flower of Demeter, had any meaning or significance when he was named it, he has turned from that paganism and is devoted wholly to the one true God, Jehovah. Therefore, diametrically opposed to diatrophies. Now there's a lesson for us in this point. Young people and young adults as you look around your congregation and look at older adults, whom do you want to be like? Do you say there is a successful man? My goal is to be like him. Do you say there's a woman who is everything that 21st century America would consider a woman to be? I want to be like her. And in the process, I'm asking really if you have a wrong standard, you understand. In the process, do you say the man or the woman have some very grave faults, but I'm willing to overlook those faults. I want to be like that man or like that woman because of something about their earthly life. Or do you say, no. Though I have a business that's not very successful from the world's standpoint, though my earthly life in the future isn't maybe going to be as great as it could otherwise be, when I look around in the church, the men and women I want to follow and imitate are those who hate sin and love righteousness. Such is the example that Demetrius is setting for us. Having set forth then his spiritual identity and found it to consist in the fact that he's a godly man who hates evil, the question is, how do you find such a man as this in the church of Jesus Christ? How could Demetrius be such a man? How can there be any such men and women in today's day and age? And the answer to that question is found in the last part of verse 11. He that doeth good is of God. Literally, he that doeth good is out of God. Using the kind of expression that would indicate that one is a child of God. Oh, there's no possibility, is there, of sinners such as you and me. Though we sit in a church pew doing good and hating evil, except we have the regenerating life of God in us, and have been born again of God in Jesus Christ and by His Spirit. If it isn't for that, we can't do good. But there's something else. It might be that a man or woman has been regenerated and has the life of Christ in him or her, but does not behold the face of God in Christ daily. Though regenerated, is not concerned to live close to God. And so it's significant that in verse 11, not only does the apostle say, he that doeth good is of God, has been begotten of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. And by implication, there's a positive. He that doeth good has both been begotten of God and has seen God. Now, you know, children, that we don't see God, 
right? Not with our earthly eyes. He doesn't have a hands and face and a body. He doesn't allow us to look at him the way we can look at mom and dad. What the apostle means when he speaks of seeing God is beholding the glory of God. And where do we go to behold the glory of God but to his scriptures? Jesus Christ is the full revelation of it, but even him we don't see with our earthly eyes, and we will not until we're in heaven. But in the scriptures, we see God. What explains a man's or woman's godliness is that he or she is begotten of God, regenerated, and every day says. If I'm going to follow Demetrius' example today, and if I'm going to avoid being a Diotrephes, let me begin the day in prayer and in devotion to God, beholding his face. And that a man or woman be regenerated and has the privilege of seeing God, reading the scriptures, and thereby coming to understand him can only be possible because Jesus Christ has died for that one. That's part of the spiritual identity of Demetrius also. He is one chosen of God from eternity, and therefore one for whom Jesus Christ took on flesh, whose sins Christ bore on his own shoulders, and for whom he went to the death of the cross. How else can a pagan become a believer? That's what we know about Demetrius. An example to all of us because the main point about him that the scripture and spirit sets forth is his godly character. Now it's about this character of Demetrius that John writes to Gaius. And the real focal point of the text is that John is saying to Gaius, you don't have to worry about this man I know this man, and he's a good man. John, in the text, is giving character witnesses of Demetrius. Says the apostle, Demetrius hath good report of all men. Focusing a minute on the hath good report. The idea is that, say you're in a court of law, and there are witnesses called forth one after another to testify what we know about that man in this court, which is God's court, the witnesses God calls forth for Gaius's assurance regarding Demetrius's character will all say he is a good man. Very interestingly, because our King James Version takes pains to put in italics every word not really found in the Greek. You'll notice that the word good, Demetrius have good report, is not in italics, and yet it is not in the Greek. The New King James changes that, and it puts the word good in italics. Nevertheless, our fathers, in translating the King James, get the sense correctly. It isn't just that Demetrius has a report that all men will bring, but the report is a good report. Now what's striking, if you remember our sermons from last week, and the kind of man that Gaius is, is that he even needs John 
to tell him this. This is a man who will receive into his house both brethren, whom he knows are preaching the gospel, but also strangers. And usually when you receive a stranger into your house, you don't say, well, what are your character witnesses? How do I know you're a good person? Part of your love for somebody whom you don't know, who's a stranger, your Christian love is to show love even if in the end you find that well-motivated, you showed it toward one who is a scoundrel. Why must Gaius be told this about Demetrius? We're not told exactly. So what I'm going to say is a fruit of asking the question, why? The Holy Spirit doesn't tell us anything irrelevant, but doing my best to give an answer to the question, and I'll begin with this, that apparently Demetrius is the one bringing the epistle to Gaius. That's not stated explicitly in the text, but it's a surmising, it's an interpretation that many give. Remember that there's trouble in the church, that there is a man, Diotrephes, who hath the preeminence, and he's getting a following. That Gaius is the godly man, who's not getting a following, but of whom the apostle is saying, God knows your godliness, keep on being godly. Now here comes another man from some other city into this troubled church. Is he going to stir the pot? Is he going to be another Diotrephes? That may well be a question in Gaius's mind. And it's to answer that question that the apostle gives character witnesses of Demetrius. We are reminded by implication that it is good when speaking to somebody about another brother or sister in Christ whom they do not know that we be ready to give a good testimony of that one whom they do not know so that when they meet him or her they can immediately have spiritual, godly fellowship in Jesus Christ. Well, John provides three different character witnesses of Demetrius in the text. In the first place, he says, Demetrius hath good report of all men. And in this point, he emphasizes that the good character of Demetrius is widely attested. Oh, there's a side point to make again, though, about all men. The Arminian takes the word all and makes it mean every, doesn't he? And in fact, that becomes his basis for saying that Jesus Christ died for each and every man. He died for all, says the scriptures in places like 1 Timothy 2 and 4. And our answer to that is, Ben, that the word all and the word every are not interchangeable words. All refers to categories, to classes, to, to groups. Every refers to individuals. That Jesus Christ did not die for every individual man, but he dies for all kinds of men. And when we give that explanation, some might say, being eager to maintain their own view, that we're wrong. Now let's ask them a question about our text. 
Christ. Do you mean that every single man in the world can come and testify of Demetrius' character? The idea is absurd. But all means. When you go to the different regions in the area of Asia Minor where the Apostle John was laboring and where these events take place, perhaps then from different cities and in, among different uh, layers of society, enough people know about Demetrius that many can come and give a good report. The point is not every man head for head. The point is his good character is widely attested. It's the second character witness that the apostle brings forth that's really interesting and that makes this, a part, this text a part of the epistle that develops the concept truth. For the second character witness is, Demetrius hath good report not only of all men and of the truth itself. And now the point being underscored is not that his character witness is widely attested, but that it is genuinely attested. For Reformed believers are taught that truth is not found in multitudes and in majorities. Reformed believers are reminded that truth and that, that truth is to be found in the word of God alone. And that principle is coming out here. Although many men in many areas will give a good report of this Gaius, suppose not a one of them did. There still is a character witness whose witness matters. Or don't fall into the error of thinking that because many give a good report of him, that's the real reason to think highly of him. The apostle is driving home that this character of Demetrius is genuinely attested by truth itself. At this point, I want to remember and reiterate with you what we've learned about truth in 3 John. And then ask the question, how is the word being used here? We remember from last Sunday morning's sermon that truth is the objective revelation of God in his word. It is unchanging. It is not my opinion. It is not your opinion. It is God's declaration. That it centers in the existence of a triune God and of Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, come in our flesh. Genuinely God, fully and truly human for our salvation that it's antithetical, a thought that's come out already in the text, that it opposes the lie and darkness and evil, and that it was a sphere in which we walk. Then, in the evening sermon, we learn that this truth really is a person. For it works, and it's something that's preached in the preaching of the gospel. And the person is Jesus Christ. 
Now we're getting at what truth means in our text and what it is to be well attested of by truth. On the one hand, it means that as we examine and evaluate our lives or Demetrius's life in the light of Scripture, Scripture itself indicates by how he lives and what he confesses that he is a godly man. But let's add this to that, that Jesus Christ bears witness. And the apostle isn't saying, no, just wait till judgment day. We learned about judgment day in the last text. Wait until judgment day and then Jesus Christ will bear witness of Demetrius's godliness. But he's saying already now, Jesus Christ bears witness that this man is godly. For Jesus Christ knows his own. And he knows the work he does in his own. And he sees the fruit of his grace. How does Jesus Christ bear that testimony? You could say to Demetrius, Demetrius knows it because he knows, as every man or woman does by our conscience, properly functioning conscience, how God sees us. But John isn't telling Demetrius what Jesus Christ thinks of him. John is telling Gaius what Jesus Christ thinks of Demetrius. How can Gaius know it? And the answer again is very simply, in that he lives a godly, blameless life. So, does truth bear a good witness of you and of me? The question is, first of all, now what are other people saying about us? The question is, are you and I living in accordance with the principles of Scripture and the commands of Scripture in such a way that it is evident in our life that God himself dwells within us and his blessing rests on us? Can others see that in you? That is truth bearing witness. The third character witness that John brings forth to Demetrius's good character is John himself and John's associates. Demetrius hath good report, number one of all men, widely attested. Number two, of the truth itself, genuinely attested. Number three, yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. And now, although John is not the trump card, truth is the trump card when it comes to genuine testimony. Yet John writes, as the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and as one whom Gaius knows and trusts. When somebody in the church who doesn't live a godly, antithetical life, tries telling you that somebody else you don't know is a good person, you say to yourself, I don't know yet if he or she is a good person because the person who told me so doesn't necessarily know what good is. But when you know that the brother or sister giving testimony of another is a godly brother or sister who lives a godly life and loves the word of God, you say, brother, sister, I know you. 
I trust your judgment because your life exemplifies that you know of what you speak. And so Demetrius has not one, not two, but three character witnesses. Why three? The answer is really to make the witness more credible. You remember in Old Testament law that a man who is accused of a sin for which he should be stoned to death may not be stoned if only one person brings a witness against him, but at the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. That principle is following through here. And therefore the Apostle John is saying, Gaius, rest assured, the man who's coming to help you is a man you can trust. He's on your side, not on Diotrephes' side. Not only that, but the strength of these three is not just that there's not one, but there's two or three. The strength of these three witnesses is that they are all of a different character, a different category. You have three witnesses, and for that a man will be accused and condemned, but one is a husband, one is the husband's wife, and one is the husband's son, and you still ask the question, we've got three, but is it rigged? Are they false witnesses? The apostle brings forth three witnesses in three different categories. All men the truth itself, and I and my co-laborers whom you, Gaius, trust. That's the significance of three witnesses. It makes the witness of these the more credible. And so here too is instruction regarding our hearing of the reputation of another whom we don't know through a third party whom we do know. Because you give a good character witness of another person and because I see in you a godly life and a carefulness to live out of faith, I take that to heart. And then when I keep hearing from others the same character witness, I say, I have no worries that when I meet this person, I'm meeting a brother or a sister in Christ. Oh, one more thing to add. Although the Bible doesn't tell us any more about Demetrius, he was a human. He had his besetting sins. He had his personality quirks and weaknesses. But where is the Holy Spirit drawing attention to them? Where are all men talking about those things? Where do you find truth saying, don't forget he's a sinner too? And where do you find John saying, but he's got this or that that makes him kind of hard to work with? You're not finding that. A good report of a godly man 
for the benefit of Gaius to receive the man into his fellowship. Now the Holy Spirit sets forth this for a very practical purpose for you and for me. We come back to the verb, the imperative of verse 11, beloved. Follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. I already told you that good in the text means morally good. Now why did I tell you about there being two Greek words? Because the word for evil is not the word for morally evil. It's a word that means incompetent. Just not fit for the job. And what it's doing as it speaks of people in the church is underscoring that although you might not immediately identify or see the moral faults in a man or woman, they won't be evil in the moral sense, at least not visibly to you, if they appear not to be living the kind of life that accords with godliness, that is positively godly, we mustn't run around being suspicious of people, but we recognize that's not right. The life of the child of God is to be, on the one hand, one that is godly, one that is morally good. But at the same time, that means all that we think and do and say, the choices that we make, the kind of place we work at, the days of the week we will work, the kind of person we date and marry, all show that we are living out of faith. And there are people in the church, I don't call them unbelievers, some are, some aren't, but they're not living out of faith at the moment, who say, I'll keep myself from the extreme. But I'm going to live a life really as best I can that pleases and satisfies me. And the apostle is saying, don't follow those. It doesn't take a person manifesting themselves to be an ungodly unbeliever, one who has no use for the law of God, for you to say, I'm not going in that direction, if it's just a man or a woman who's too full of himself or herself. And of this life, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. And the implication is, those who are godly, who love Jehovah God and have seen him and are born of him, will also know how in, a different, in, in, in any context and culture and circumstance to live a godly life. So the second thing to say about this command is that in it the apostle is setting forth a general principle. He hasn't named names. There's a name just before the command and there's a name just after the command. Yes, he has an illustration in the epistle, but in the text, especially in verse 11, he's setting forth a general principle for you and for me to observe. At all times, evaluate, know what good and evil are, evaluate how others are living accordingly, 
and though we speak good and only good of our brothers and sisters in Christ, let us not follow those who are not living a godly life. But isn't that following a man? And isn't following a man something we must not do? And the answer is, insofar as you are following those who are good and godly, you see that they are following Christ. And you and I may follow men and women who are following Christ. The word translated follow, I said in the introduction, is the word for mimicking or following in detail, imitating the way a child would play the game, follow the leader and do everything the leader did. And therefore, the point of the imperative here is that you and I not just in a general way follow them, in some way they're godly, in some way I'll be godly, but that you follow them when it comes to their saying, I will be pure, chaste, and holy in a sex-saturated society. And you say, I will follow him or her. That of such a one who says, I will be godly in how I obtain my income at work, I will not cheat my employer, and as a self-employed person, I will treat the customer with dignity, and I will be a loyal and a faithful servant to him. You say, I will follow him or her. You see a man or a woman who is not just married to each other and cohabits, lives in the same house, but who are committed to each other's spiritual well-being, who understand that God put them together in marriage to be each other's friend and help, and you say, I will follow him or her. That's the idea of the imperative. Follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. You are not following then a mere man. You are following others who follow Christ. I'm not going this evening to tell you how to follow. I don't need to come down to specifics. The godly child of God, the one who's been born again, again, the one who adheres to the scriptures will know how. But what we must set forth and see clearly is that we have no excuse not to. For on the one hand, having been born again of God in Christ and having seen God, we have all the grace and power we need to live a godly life. On the other hand, being directed of God in the scriptures and reminded in this passage, and in the third place, diligently using the means of grace, the preaching of the gospel, and then in our own private lives, living close to God in prayer and in his word, we will find the possibility, and therein lies also the gospel for us tonight. That our Lord and Savior, as he directs us regarding our moral life, does not now say to us, 
You can do it. In your own power, you can do it. I've reminded you, now you go do it. And it's good he doesn't say that to us because I know me, and you know me, and you know you. We can't do it. This admonition to follow that which is good comes over against the reality of the sinful nature in us. To follow evil, we're attracted to it like a magnet to metal. It just comes naturally. And it seems that there's no power in us to avoid sin today. But the Lord and Savior says to us, No, in you there isn't. In me there isn't. But in Him there is. The admonition is urgent. And the urgency regards in the first place the presence of evil in the world and in society around. The admonition to follow that which is good and not that which is evil means that we evaluate our society as inherently evil. And it's not only our society of which that was true, but any society that is not based on the principles of Scripture and comprised of men and women who will live as children of God and yet society holds forth what our heart desires, money, earthly comforts, maybe fame. And the child of God says, no, I will only find trouble and sorrow there because of the presence of evil in the world and society around. It is an urgent and a necessary command. In fact, to give ourselves over to society's view of what's right and good is to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. But in the second place, the admonition is necessary and urgent because of the presence of evil in the church of Jesus Christ itself. His name, you remember, was Diotrephes. Not only that, the sinful nature of every member, brother and sister in the church of Christ, a sinful nature that sometimes shows itself by saying, I followed good so long now that I get a little earthly reward for it. I'll indulge in sin just for a while. I'll have the best of both worlds this way. And that too is a danger, a dangerous thought, and a dangerous person to follow. The Church of Jesus Christ has many different men and women in it. The Apostle John and the Holy Spirit through him has described three of them for us. And the question with which we leave the epistle this evening is a very simple one. Who are you most like? Who will we be most like? And someday when you stand on a stand in a character witness stand in a court of judgment, 
and truth testifies about you or me, what will truth say? Taking to heart the instruction of the epistle, living a godly life in praise of our creator and redeemer, truth will say this of us, sinner, yes, saved, forgiven, and one who began in an evil culture to live a new and godly life. And those of whom truth makes that witness will then one day see God in a far more glorious way than we can see him here below. When we see him to all eternity with the angels and with Jesus Christ and with the church made perfect, they're enjoying his covenant fellowship forever. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, by the word that we have heard tonight, encourage us and empower us in a life of godliness. Cause that we live unto thee, to the praise and glory of thy name, that each one of us recognizes both the evil that lurks within our heart and the immorality of society around and the danger even of those in the church who pay no regard to thy law. Give us grace to abstain from following such and to follow that which is good. Jesus Christ our Lord, setting the example, leading the way, and giving us the power. We pray in his name. Amen.